King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives the gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream apply to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, 
Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about King Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, and no one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Thanks, God. Well, the, uh, the title for the sermon is actually The King Loses His Mind. I, I think I must have mistyped that in the, uh, in the computer system uh, this week. That would have been a great title, wouldn't it? Uh, it's a shame. Shame it has... Would have been a great kind of metaphor, maybe. But, uh, so, so don't hang out waiting for The King Loses His Life metaphor or something at the end of the sermon, because it's not going to happen, unless I have a moment of inspiration at the last, at the last minute. Wait, I've got it. I know how it's going to work. Uh, well, there's nothing, is there, like a, like a good testimony? Uh, it's great to hear how God has worked in people's lives. 
It's, it's lovely to, uh, to meet someone who has an amazing story about what God has done, how, the path that he's led them on, the, uh, the great catastrophes that they've been through and the great grace that God has shown in their life. Uh, not just uh, religious testimonies too, but even uh, the biographies of, uh, of ordinary people to read about uh, what their life has been like. It's wonderful to read that. Well, chapter 4 presents a great biography, a great testimony, one of the most remarkable testimonies in history, I think. Here is the king of one of the ancient superpowers who writes a letter to send to all the nations and all uh, people of every language telling them what God has done in his life. So remarkable, in fact, is this letter by this king that it's copied into the Bible. And recorded by God. What is it that Nebuchadnezzar thought was so important for the ancient world to know that he would take the time to write this letter and to send it to all the nations and in every language? What is it about this uh, that what Nebuchadnezzar discovered that God wants us to know? That God wanted the words of this pagan king to be recorded in his holy scriptures. Well, the short answer to that question is in verse 2 and 3, right at the beginning of this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar says why he's writing. He wants us to know about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's the short answer. And the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the chapter gives the long answer. And Nebuchadnezzar begins his long answer by telling the circumstances of his dream. You might remember a couple of chapters ago that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, the dream of the statue. And like with that dream, this dream troubles him. It makes him afraid. And like with that dream, his first instinct is to call the magicians and the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners. And he asks them to tell him what the dream means. But again, as in chapter 2, they can't do it. They're not able to uh, perform the task. And so instead, Daniel ends up being called and Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream and Daniel interprets it. In the dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees this large tree and it's so tall that it touches the sky. It's a wonderful description of its size, isn't it? That's how how tall it is. It, It touches almost the sky. It's visible to the ends of the earth. But a messenger from heaven comes and says to cut down this incredible tree, to strip away the leaves and the fruit, to drive out the animals which shelter under it. The tree is cut down, but the stump and the roots of the tree are left, and it's bound up with iron and bronze. And in verse 15, this tree becomes a hymn. Let him be drenched, says the messenger, with the dew of heaven, And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Well, Daniel has to give uh, the interpretation of the dream and given what the dream actually means, you can understand he's a little bit nervous. (laughs) I love the uh, humanity of Daniel. He says, uh, we're told, 
then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. You can imagine him standing in there before Nebuchadnezzar. So what does the dream mean, Daniel? And uh, Daniel's there, what on earth am I going to say? But Nebuchadnezzar encourages him to explain the dream. Whatever it means, I just want to know. Well, the meaning of the dream, Daniel says, is that the tree is Nebuchadnezzar. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. One of the most remarkable things about that description of Nebuchadnezzar as this great tree is that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom is being described as a beautiful kingdom. It is a large tree that touches the sky and can be seen to the end of the earth. It's covered in these thick, beautiful leaves. It's laden down with ripe fruit. Imagine like a gigantic fig tree or something like that. It's a shelter for all kinds of animals and birds. There they are, they're flitting in and out, they're, they're running up the trunk, they're, they're, they're living there, that's their home. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is in some ways a beautiful kingdom. Clearly there were elements about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom which were not beautiful. People being thrown into a furnace, kind of as an example of one thing, perhaps which was not that beautiful, about the kingdom. And yet there are still elements which were beautiful. Daniel and his friends clearly live to some degree in this kingdom. uh, They live fulfilling and faithful lives. There's evidence from other parts of the Bible too that during this period of exile in Babylon, the people lived relatively peaceful and prosperous lives. They lived peacefully and prosperously even though they were a conquered people living in a land which wasn't their own. You see, what this dream of Nebuchadnezzar tells us is that not all human kingdoms are ugly. Not all human kingdoms are beautiful, but some are. And clearly Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was beautiful in some way. By God's grace, it was beautiful. And God describes his kingdom as beautiful and fruitful and lovely. It's not a hideous ogre of the ancient Near East. I think it's a helpful reminder as we look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it's a helpful reminder that we're not relegated to believing that human kingdoms and nations can be painted in black and white. They're either Christian and good or secular and completely evil, a wicked cancer on the world and life. No, it doesn't work like that. It's more complicated than that, actually. We readily criticise our governments, but we rarely praise them. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone and they said, 
Well, I'm so encouraged by what the government's doing. Isn't that just wonderful? It doesn't happen. I have a great friend the other day uh, and we were walking together and he was just complaining about our Australian governments. And it's so run-of-the-mill, isn't it? It's so natural. It's so natural. It's so easy to do. But actually, we're blessed in many ways in Australia with beautiful governments and we receive great gifts from God through them. The general concern in our society that people should be well-educated and the money that goes into education of uh, young people in our country, the idea that people should have equal access and equal opportunities to lead productive and fruitful lives is a great blessing. The provision of universal health care is a wonderful thing, a concern that everyone, no matter where they're from, should have access to good quality health care. The idea that people, even if their health problems are caused by their own bad life choices, that they should still have access to health care is a beautiful thing. It's a great blessing. The National Disability Insurance Scheme, which achieved bipartisan support in the last parliament, is a beautiful attempt by governments to ensure that people whose lives uh, are difficult and people who need a high degree of care get the funding and the money that they need. That's a beautiful thing. The apology to the stolen generation was a rare but beautiful moment of national repentance. The concern of both sides of Parliament at present to see that our constitution is changed to recognise the Indigenous people who were in our country before the settlement by the British is a beautiful and wonderful thing. You see, the point of this chapter is that the beautiful parts of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom are gifts from God and we ought to receive them as such. These things reflect the inherent beauty which God created human beings to have. There might be things about our governments that we find objectionable, but what a terrible and wicked thing it is to deny the good gifts that we receive from God through them. We dishonour God's good gifts when we paint our governments all in black and fail to see that actually we live in a country which is a fruitful tree that provides shelter to many people. So it's instructive to note, first of all, that by God's grace, even kingdoms that are opposed to God can still in some sense be beautiful. Not all beautiful, but still beautiful in some sense. But what God describes as beautiful is going to be taken away from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sees this angel coming down from heaven in his dream. This messenger gives instructions for this kingdom to be cut down. This beautiful tree is going to be cut down to a stump and and roots. It's going to be uh, covered in iron and bronze. The iron and bronze are there to protect the tree in its fragile state. That is, God is going to destroy Nebuchadnezzar. He's He's not going to destroy him, sorry, but he's going to humble him. He's going to humble him and yet protect him. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will be taken away and he will live with the wild animals and his mind will be taken away and he'll go mad. Why is God going to do that? 
so that Nebuchadnezzar will acknowledge that everything that is beautiful about his kingdom is a gift from God. Nebuchadnezzar is given an opportunity to repent. I don't know if you noticed that in verse 27. Daniel says, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Well, here's Daniel's, Daniel's advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. In fact, God gives him 12 months to repent. doesn't give him a couple of weeks. He gives him 12 months to think about the implications of this dream and to do something about it. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't take that opportunity. And 12 months later, in a moment of great self-admiration, he's walking on the top, uh, the roof of his, uh, uh, of his palace, admiring his kingdom. He says to himself, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Isn't all this what I have done? And we're told in verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven came, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kings of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar had to realise that everything he had comes from God, to realise that the wonderful beauty of his kingdom was God's gift. And not just to him, in fact, but to his people as well. We might not be rulers of ancient empires, I don't think we are, uh, but everything that we have still comes from God. And we, like Nebuchadnezzar, are still tempted to say... Is not all which I have done my, by my mighty power and by my glory? Isn't all this that I've created, isn't my life which I've created my doing? Haven't I achieved this for myself? Some of my favourite books are by the neuroscientist Oliver Sacks. I don't know if anyone's read his books. Uh, Anthropologist on Mars... And, uh, and um, the island of the colourblind, among many. But he tells stories of people who often quite suddenly develop these debilitating neurological disorders. One man suddenly lost his ability to recognise things. His vision was still perfect, but his brain could no longer piece images together. So during an examination with Oliver Sacks, he took off his shoe and he couldn't find it on the floor. He mistook his foot for his shoe. When shown a picture of, this, of a uh, kind of Sahara-style desert, he identified in the picture a river and a cottage and people dining on a terrace. Uh, and, and, uh, and later on, when he went to leave the office, he went to get his hat but instead of grabbing his hat, he grabbed his wife's head and tried to pull it off and put it on his own head. Another man woke up one morning and went to get the newspaper and thought that someone was playing a practical joke because the newspaper looked like it had been written in Russian and then a moment later it looked like it had been written in Korean 
And then a moment later, it looked like it had been written in another language. He could see the letters. He could still see perfectly. But he couldn't recognise any of them anymore. Remarkably, he could still write. But the moment the letters were on the page, he didn't know what they were. In David Stuart McLean's book, A Memoir of Amnesia, he wakes up to find himself on a train station in India with no idea who he is or how he got there. For a period, he becomes psychotic and he believes that he's some kind of drug addict, which he isn't, and he has to reconstruct his life and rediscover his identity from scratch. It's a true story. You don't have to read very far through any of those books to realise that there's only really a very slender thread between sanity and insanity. There's only a very small margin between normal brain function and complete dysfunction. Just a stroke. It's what happened to the man who picked up the newspaper. It's what happened to most of these people, in fact. Just in an instant. And everything that they were and everything that they had created in themselves was taken away. We're constantly told that we're self-created beings. Do what you want to be, be what you want to be. You can do it, whatever it is. We live with the belief that the only way is up. That what we are today, we will be tomorrow. And that if there's any change, it will be for the better. That if you're brilliant today, you'll be brilliant tomorrow. If you're a great musician today, you'll be a great musician tomorrow. If you're a great writer today, you'll be a great writer tomorrow. If you're great at working with your hands today, you'll be great at working with your hands tomorrow. But it's not true. You see, all those things are gifts from God who upholds our lives at every moment of the day. In the reality, we're a hair's breadth away from disease and disaster and death. And everything that we have is a gift from God. The lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn can be a hard lesson to learn. But better to learn it from a sermon than to learn it in the way that Nebuchadnezzar learned it. You see, God, God can take everything away, actually. And sometimes God does take everything away. Just so that we would know that we are not self-created people. But God is sovereign, and we're not. Every good gift that we have is a gift from God, and Nebuchadnezzar, in his arrogance thought that he was a self-made man. God took away everything to bring him to his senses. Well, Nebuchadnezzar finally does come to his senses. And in verse 34, we're told, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He realises finally that, that God is in control. 
and he is not. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases, says Nebuchadnezzar. God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and sanity are restored. And he finishes this letter that he writes to the nations with these words. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Well, what do we make of Nebuchadnezzar's rehabilitation? What do we make of those words? Those words of humility? How thoroughgoing was his repentance? Did he convert to follow Daniel's God, Israel's God? There's certainly a significant difference between what Nebuchadnezzar says in this chapter about God and what he said earlier in the book of Daniel. In both chapter 2 and chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar praises Daniel's God. In chapter 2, after uh, Daniel interprets the dream... Nebuchadnezzar says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Or at the end of chapter 3, after Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego escaped the fiery furnace unharmed, Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. It's an acknowledgement of God. It's hardly the most peace-loving kind of acknowledgement of God. But here in chapter 4, there seems to be a sense of personal ownership. What before was an objective assessment, now Nebuchadnezzar seems to take personally. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Not only that, he is so committed to this discovery that he sends a letter to the known world declaring the wonders of God. But most illuminating of all, I think, is the comparison between Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. If you've got a Bible, flip back to 2 Chronicles 36. It's after Samuel and Kings and before Ezra and Nehemiah. So 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 11. 
Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Notice how Zedekiah is described. He hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord. God was at work. He was sending prophets. He was sending hardship. And what did Zedekiah do? He did nothing. He hardened his heart. And what did God do? He raised up Nebuchadnezzar. And now the very king that God raised up to bring down Zedekiah is the very God, the very king that God humbles. And when God humbles, doesn't harden his heart, but acknowledges God. The message is this. Zedekiah, the king of Judah, didn't repent. But the pagan king did. Zedekiah was born inside the people of God. He was born with the privilege of knowing the gospel, God's promise through Abraham that he would put the world right. He was born, if you like, inside the church. Nebuchadnezzar was born outside. He had no hope of hearing the gospel except that Daniel and his friends had been sent into exile and were there in his court and in his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar was the one who humbled himself and turned to God. You see, I think it's easy to get caught up wondering, well, how perfect was Nebuchadnezzar's repentance and, you know, was it, was it right or was it, was it not right? And miss the point that what God is saying both to the people of Daniel's day and our day is, whoever you are, you need to repent. Inside or out, we need to repent, humble ourselves before God and put our trust in Jesus. Well, many of us here, I think, have done that. Humbled ourselves, turned from being self-made, self-created people to people who trust in Jesus and honour him. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't humbled yourself and put your trust in Jesus. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king of Babylon, wants you to know how he turned from idols to serve the living and true God. He wants you to know how he humbled himself and acknowledged that his life and everything that he had and did was a gift from God. If you haven't turned to Jesus in humility... King Nebuchadnezzar, whose words still speak, 
pleads with you to do it. Everything of beauty, everything that we possess, everything that we achieve is all a wonderful gift from God. And God wants us to acknowledge him and to admit that he owns us and we don't own ourselves. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you are the great God and King of all the universe. And everything that we are, you have made us. And every moment that we live, you sustain us. Every breath that we breathe is a precious gift from your hand. Lord, you uphold us at every moment. And were you to take away your power, were you to leave us to our own devices, we would die and perish. Lord, we acknowledge your kingship and your rule and your power. Lord, we ask that you would enable us to live for you, to follow Jesus, to put our trust in him, to acknowledge that he is the great king and we are not. Lord, whether we do that today for the very first time, or whether we do it again in a life of following and trusting you. Father, we ask that you would be honoured and glorified in our repentance. Lord, we ask that your name might be honoured by our testimony as your name is honoured by Nebuchadnezzar's. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.